How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you. Welcome to the Parkway Church. My name is Zach, one of the guys here. Hope that you are doing well. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in 1 John 1, 5 through 7. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. While you're turning there, I have a buddy who is in uh, Naval Special Warfare, and he posted something on social media last week, which I thought was pretty funny. He said, if you are ever lost in the woods, just look for the North Star. It will provide you comfort as you die alone in the woods, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I am directionally challenged. I'm okay, actually, if I'm in the woods and I can walk in a straight line, but if it comes to driving and I have to loop around curves and take turns and take off-roads and these kind of things, I am very directionally challenged. I am not good with directions. And sometimes it's not my fault. So before there was the iPhone, before there was GPS, people would just give you directions, and sometimes they wouldn't give you enough details, right? So they'd say something like this, head up the road a quarter of a mile and turn right near the old tree. You guys remember directions like this? So you're driving and you're thinking, that tree's kind of old. That tree's kind of old too. And then you would just get lost and you would have to hitchhike or something. There was no, no way to survive that kind of thing. Other times when people would give you directions, they give you way too many details, okay? If you're ever giving me directions, here's what I know, left and right. I can put up my hands and see which one makes an L and then I know which one is left and right. Do not dare give me north, east, west. I'm not Sacagawea or something like this. I can't just figure that out. Well, Zach, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Every time I've needed to know that, it looks something like this. I'm at a stoplight, and I look up, and the sun is kind of just overhead. And so it's not ever very helpful for that. And so sometimes people wouldn't give enough directions. Other times they would give too many directions, and I just could not figure it out. Multiple times in my life I've had to call somebody and say, can you help me? I'm lost. To which they respond, where are you? And I say, if I knew that, would we be having this conversation? Figure it out. There's a 7-Eleven and a big tree, and they just have to figure it out, okay? This runs in my family, by the way. I have an uncle, a guy named Paul, who is also directionally challenged. He got lost one time, and he went into a local church, and he went up to the front desk, and he said, can you help me? I'm lost. And they said, you've come to the right place. And he's like, no, no, not spiritually lost, like just physically lost. I, I don't know where I am. So I did not know how to get around. And then there was the invention of GPS. There was the invention of the iPhone, okay? And now I can get everywhere. Because I have that knowledge, which I previously didn't have, I can get wherever I want to go. If you try to give me directions today, I will just sit there while you're yammering and wait till the end and then ask you for the address because I'm just going to punch it in my phone anyway, okay? But now I can see where I'm going. I can see the map. It can talk to me. I can program it to speak to me like a British woman, so I feel like James Bond as I'm turning left here or whatever it might be. What you see is when you have this truth, you have this knowledge, it allows you to walk in the light. It allows you to go in the correct direction, whereas before I had that knowledge, before I had that truth, I would go in the wrong direction and I would get lost. Now, the reason I tell you that is that's very similar to what's going on in our text today. Our text is going to say when you know God, when you have fellowship with God through Christ, when you know the one who is light, that's kind of like that GPS. It provides the path so that you might walk in light, whereas when you don't know God, you are ending up on a path walking in darkness. But what you'll find is that your actions follow what you believe to be true. Your actions follow your theology. Your actions follow your thoughts. And so we will see that here in 1 John as we get into this text. So let's pray, and then we will start in verse 5. 
Father, we come before you through the Son and by the Spirit and ask for grace as we uh, examine your word. We confess that you are good and you are righteous and that we need your help, that your word is clear, that the meaning of your Bible is in the Bible, but uh, we come to the Bible with foggy glasses. We come to the Bible with sin and limitations and presuppositions, so though your word is perfect, we are not. So we ask that you would send the Spirit and he would change our hearts so that we might understand and behold beautiful things in your word. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's look at verse 5 together. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you have your Bible, go ahead and underline verse 5. Verse 5 will end up being kind of the theme for a big chunk of 1 John. Everything that John is going to say about us walking in the light, about us loving one another, about us having correct doctrine, all goes back to verse 5 that we are to try to emulate the one who, is, who himself is light. So let me give you a few opening remarks, and then we're going to look at verse 5, and we're going to spend a lot of time here because it's a very important verse. So here's a few opening remarks. First of all, who is the him in that sentence? The him is Jesus. This is the message that we have heard from Jesus. That's what's going on here in context, okay? Another thing you need to know is that the phrase have heard is in the past. It's something that was completed in the past, and the phrase proclaim is in the present tense. What John is saying is this. I've seen Jesus. Not me, Zach speaking, John speaking. He's seen Jesus. He was incarnated. John got to see him and laugh with him and eat with him and hang out with him. That was something that happened in the past. But now this message is something he proclaims to his audience presently. Okay? Now look again at the first part of verse 5. This is really profound. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Look at this that God is light, okay? doesn't just say God has light. It says God is light. Whenever the Bible says that God is something, you need to pay attention. So let me, let me say something right now. I want to give you a little systematic theology. I want to teach you about something that the church has historically always held. The early church held it. The medieval church held it. The Reformation church held it. But for some reason, in a lot of evangelical churches, pastors don't talk about it very much. So I want to be very clear on this. God, we believe here in what is called the simplicity of God, okay? The doctrine of God's simplicity. Now, let me explain what that does and doesn't mean. You might be thinking, Zach, that makes no sense. God is not simple. He's very hard to understand, okay? When we say that God is simple or we talk about the doctrine of simplicity, we are not saying that God is easy to understand. He's not easy to understand. He is beyond our comprehension. We're also not saying that he is simple, like simple-minded. That's not what we mean. When theologians talk about the simplicity of God, what it means is this. God is not composed of parts. God is not composite. This is one of the ways that God is unlike creatures. I, as a creature, am composed of parts, okay? My foot is not the same thing as my hand. And in fact, if my foot is somewhere, my hand can't be there at the same time. One of the reasons we know God is simple is because if he is everywhere, he must be everywhere with his whole being, not just a part of him. My, my foot is different than my hand because I'm made of parts. My mind is different than my stomach. My existence is different than my will, okay? My soul is different than my knee. So notice, not only am I made up of several physical parts, God is not, God has no physical body, but I'm also made up of other attributes. I'm made up of intellectual parts and these kind of things. My will, my mind, my soul, these things are, are different, okay? One day I can be wrathful and angry, and then the next day I change and I can be real nice and loving, whatever it might be, okay? That is not the case with God. God 
is just God. Okay? God is just God. He is not composite. He is not made up of parts. We've used this example before, but I want to give it again because I think it's helpful. Imagine that you have a beam of light, okay? Maybe a beam of sunshine just coming through the window. That light is just one thing, white light, okay? But when that light shines through a prism, that prism breaks it up so you can see all the different colors. Roy G. Biff, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, etc. You can see these different colors. God is kind of like that white light. God is just God. He's not made up of parts. What the Bible does, though, is the Bible acts like a prism so that we can at least try to grasp and understand a being who is beyond our comprehension. So the Bible will talk about God being wrathful, and it'll talk about God being loving, and it'll talk about God being true. These are not different things to God. These are just different things to us. They're just ways that we can try to grasp at a being who is infinite. The Bible condescends to our language to try to understand God, but God is simple. He's not composite. He's not made up of parts. Let me say it this way. When we say that God is good, we don't mean that there's this standard called goodness, and God, like, looks up at it and tries to get underneath it, okay? When we say that God is loving, we don't mean that there's this standard of love, and God, like, looks at it to figure out, okay, what would loving be? Okay, this is then what I'm going to do. When we say that God is truth, we don't mean that there's just this standard of truth above God and God just gets under it. When we say that God is good, we just mean God is God. When we call something else good, we're simply saying that it corresponds to his character. When we call something loving, we're just saying that corresponds to God's character. When we say that something's true, we're saying it corresponds to God's character, okay? God is not composite. God is simple. All of God is God. His mind is his will, his existence, his essence, those are the exact, little stars around the word exact, same thing to God. That is the historic Christian position of the church. Now, you might say to me, Zach, that sounds very philosophical. That sounds like a lot of philosophy. Does the Bible teach the simplicity of God? And I would say to you that the Bible does teach that. Let me explain why. The Bible won't just say God has certain attributes. It will say he is those attributes. Notice in this text, it says that God is what? Light. Elsewhere, the Bible will say God is love. Elsewhere, the Bible will say God is spirit. In Deuteronomy and Hebrews, it says that God is a consuming fire. Does that mean that God is 25% light and 25% love and 25% spirit and 25% consuming fireness? No. All of God is just God, okay? He's just God. And we talk about these different attributes so that we can understand him, although he in himself is just God, okay? When it comes to persons, he is three. When it comes to God, he is one, okay? He's only one God. So let me read you a really, really helpful quote on this by a systematic theologian named James Dolezal. Here's what he says. In his essence, it is not one thing to be good, another to be wise, another to be powerful, and so on. Properly speaking, God is good by virtue of God, not goodness. He is wise by virtue of God, not wisdom. He is powerful by virtue of God, not power. Power. He is love by virtue of God, not love. And when we say that God is goodness itself, wisdom itself, power itself, and love itself, we do not mean that these are all so many distinct, really distinct parts or forms in God but simply that he is all that is involved in these terms by virtue of his own divine essence as such. Thus, all that is in God must be God, okay? 
So the reason I start there is to say, as we're approaching this text, and it's going to say God is light, we're talking about a being who is wholly other than us. We have a tendency to think of God as like this old man on the clouds like us. When people get frustrated, we assume God's frustrated. Because other people have stabbed us in the back, we think God will stab us in the back. The biggest error in thinking about God is thinking that he is like a human, okay? Yes, Jesus takes on humanity, but it takes away nothing from his deity, okay? It was the uh, French cynic Voltaire that said, God made man in his image, and man has been trying to return the favor ever since, okay? Now, let's look at this text again. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. Now, what does it mean when the Bible says here that God is light, okay? Now, look at me. This is important. This does not mean that God is like physical light. It's not what you're thinking of when you think of his light. Do not think of God as a big light bulb. Do not think of him as like a shiny light orb or something like that. Please do not go home and bow down to a candle, nor the sunshine, nor a flashlight. Remember, light is something that God created. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. God is not created. God is not made up of particles and waves and these kind of things. New Testament scholar Karen Job says this, God is light is not a metaphysical statement about God, which would lead to some type of pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that everything is God as if the photons in the universe had some divine quality. Rather, the statement describes a fundamental axiom about God that sin and righteousness are as mutually exclusive as light and darkness. So what does it mean when it says God is light? Don't think of him as a big candle. Here's what it means. Light in John means truth and goodness. We just sang it. You are good and all you do is good. Notice, you are goodness itself, and therefore everything you do reflects that attribute, that you do Good. So when the Bible here says that God is light, it means these two things, that God is true, truth itself, and therefore that he's good. Okay? This is constantly how it's used in John. Let me show you another place, John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light, same kind of language, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does not, uh, but whoever does what is true, notice the idea of truth there, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here's what this text is saying. God is true. He shines in the darkness and reveals what's true. And he is also good. He is the standard of truth and he is the standard of goodness. When you know God, you walk in light. When you do not know God, you walk in darkness. I'll give you a little example. I think I've told this story here before, but I think it works well here, so I'm going to tell it again. Before I met Katie, let me emphasize this. Before I met Katie, lest you think I'm some womanizer in this story, <clears throat> before I met Katie, I was single, okay? And I had a friend who was getting married. And so I went to the wedding, and it was a great wedding. I got there like the last five minutes, so I missed that. And then I went to the reception, okay? And at the reception, I saw a bridesmaid, again, not knowing her married to Katie, I saw a bridesmaid that I thought was attractive, okay? So I worked up the courage to go ask her to dance. Not inappropriate dancing, okay? Just a, just a very innocent, slow dance. So I work up this courage, and I go up to this girl, and I say, hi, my name is uh, Zach. I would love to uh, dance if you would like to dance. And she kind of looks at me, and she delays, and I think, oh, no. Oh, no, it's happening. My greatest fears. What is happening? Do I, do, do I have something in my teeth? Does she not like the way that I look? And she goes, yeah, I guess so. And I'm thinking, you guess so. Do you want a slice of the Zach pie or no? You get a pick. Right now's your chance. And so she's like, yeah, I, I guess so. And so we go out to the, uh, the dance floor, and the whole time I'm trying to make conversation, right? 
how do you know the bride, where are you from, etc. And she is just giving these little short one-word answers. Texas, how do you know the bride? She's my friend. And I'm like, what is, do I have bad breath? What is happening? What is happening to me? And after the dance, she goes and she just sits down and I go sit down across the room and that's it. Now I'm feeling pretty bad about myself at this point. And so later on, I'm talking to the bride who's a friend of mine and I said, hey, I tried to dance with this bridesmaid and I don't think that she likes me. And my friend who was the bride said, oh yeah, I just found out that she is secretly married and pregnant. And so I felt like a homewrecker. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. I didn't do anything inappropriate, but I had, I had no idea. She's like, and then my friend said, oh, by the way, and her husband is a marine sniper. And I said, no. Now I'm going to get shot over this kind of thing. And then I thought, I knew there was something wrong with her. I knew the problem wasn't with me. There was something with her. Now, let me ask you this question. Once I found that out, do you think I continued to pursue that relationship? I did not. Why? Because thou shalt not commit adultery, okay? When I thought one thing, it caused me to walk one way in the darkness. When I finally had the light exposed, the light of what it looks like to have somebody looking at you through a sniper scope, all of a sudden it changed the way that I walked. That's what John is saying. God is light. He is truth. When you know him, you walk in light, and when you do not, you walk in darkness. Now look at the second part of verse 5, and for some of you, this will be cold water for your soul. This will be very, just what you need to hear. Listen to this. It says, not only that he's light, that and in him is no darkness at all. Literally in Greek, it says darkness in him is not, not one. It's an emphatic way of saying he is absolutely pure and good. So here's my question for you. Where are you not thinking of God as good? Where do you think that God has cheated you? Where do you think that God has wronged you? Where do you think that God's like 99% good, but there's that 1% where he's evil or mean or unfair or something like that? The Bible is going to shoot that down. God never wants you to sin. He's never asking you to sin to accomplish some good purpose. He's never asking you to believe something that's false. He's never trying to do something that's for your ultimate bad. If you're a Christian, God is good and in him is no darkness at all. Where are you seeing there being a little bit of darkness in God? Because there's none. God ordains evil, but he does not do evil. God ordains hardship, but it's for your good. God is good. That's one of these things that's just so simple, but it's really hard to put our minds around. I have found for those that struggle with fear and anxiety, like I do, either don't believe that God is sovereign or don't believe that he's good. And I would assume in a room full of Calvinists, it's probably the second one. I would assume that a lot of us believe that God is sovereign. He controls every particle in the ocean as it sloshes around directly. And yet, we have a tendency to think he doesn't really love us, he doesn't really care for us. And what John will do is he'll say, let me just go back to something very basic about God. He's good and in him is no darkness at all, at all. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now let me give you an implication here of this text, and then I want to talk about the the main meaning of verse 6. First of all, notice that this text equates salvation with fellowship with God. Being a Christian, being saved, is not about cleaning your life up being a better person, trying to do better, trying to be this good little neat Christian boy or girl. That needs to die. That's lame. Being a Christian is about having fellowship with God, a fellowship that was separated because of our sin and because of our brokenness. But look at the main thing that verse 6 is saying. Here's what it's saying. 
One's walk is the evidence of what you really are. One's walk is the evidence of what you really are. Jeff mentioned this last week, and I thought it's really helpful. Throughout 1 John, he's going to give you three indicators of how you know that you're a Christian. Maybe you've asked that of yourself. How do I know that I'm a Christian? Or maybe you have a friend, and you're trying to figure out if this person is a Christian. By the way, it's okay to judge other people. It's not okay to hypocritically judge them. That's what the Bible forbids. But it does not forbid you from making assessments of their life of whether or not they're Christians. And what Tom will do is he'll give you three indicators of this, okay? There's a doctrinal test, a social test, and a moral test. Doctrinally, if you don't believe certain things about God, you don't believe certain things about Christ, you don't believe certain things about the resurrection, you cannot be saved, okay? You are not a Christian. You might have a really, really nice Buddhist neighbor, but he does not meet the doctrinal test, okay? The second test is a social one. Do you love other people, especially other Christians? Before I became a Christian, I didn't really love other people. I wasn't like mean to them, but I just thought I was better than them. When I became a Christian, now all of a sudden I love the body. I love other people. Not always, not in traffic, but most of the time, right? Most of the time. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert, that you love hanging out with big groups of people, but there should be something in your heart that rejoices when you meet another person and find out that they're a Christian. There's a social test. And then the third one John gives us is a moral test. If you are walking in unrighteousness, you have not been transformed by Christ, to say it as simply as I can. Now, everybody look at me. This is really important that you don't get this backwards. Your good works are the evidence, not the ground of your justification. I'm going to say that again. Your deeds, whether they're good or bad, are the evidence of what you are. They are not the grounds. Good works are the evidence of salvation. They are not the grounds of salvation. It's not, I do all these good things and therefore God saves me. It's that God saves me by faith in Christ alone and therefore I do all these good things. You can't mix those up. The difference sometimes between heaven and hell is switching those. It's not that if I do this, God will love me. It's that God loves me already just because of Christ, and therefore I do this. Or to quote Martin Luther, the law says, do this and you will live. The gospel says, it is done, now live. Okay? Do not confuse those. So yes, if you're someone who says you're in the light and walks in the darkness, the solution is not for you to just try harder and get back in the light. It's to repent. It's to come to the one who is light and let him transform you. I'll give you a little example. So uh, I have not stayed in very many nice hotels uh, in my life. Typically, I end up just staying in like a Motel 6 and trying not to get murdered. Anybody else? Okay. So we had some friends that gave uh, my wife and I a gift certificate to a very nice hotel in Dallas. It's the nicest hotel that I've ever stayed at. And uh, it was fun getting there. So we pull up and your car has to be valeted, which is kind of fun. That makes you feel like a big shot. And then I walk in because I've got this gift certificate and I check in at the front desk. Hello, my name is you know, Wellington C. Moneybags, and this is my wife, Mrs. Moneybags, and they're like, we're so glad that you're here. Would you like somebody to bring your, you know, clothes up to your room? And I was like, yes, I'll take 10 of your best servants, please, and they should call me master, and so I'm really enjoying this. What they did, though, is when I checked in, I became a resident at the hotel, and then I had access to all these other amenities. They had a spa and a sauna and a pool and a gym, candy in random places. I mean, it was, it was amazing candy in random places, and so you just eat a ton of candy and go work out and throw up. It's the best, okay? Now, notice, my status of being one in the hotel was what allowed me to have all those other things. My status of being in the hotel was not purchased by me. 
It was purchased by somebody else. I couldn't afford it. Someone else purchased it for me. It gave me the status of being a hotel resident, and then I got access to the amenities. It doesn't work the other way around. It's not like I sneak into the hotel in a suitcase, burst out, and then all of a sudden start working out in the gym and hoping that they'll offer me a room, okay? And so you need to understand here, because our human legalistic hearts have such a tendency to go legalistic on this text, this text is not saying if you're walking in the darkness, try harder. It's saying if you're walking in the darkness, there is a brokenness with how you understand God's love, God's mercy, God's salvation, which is given to you in Christ without cost to you, okay? Look at verse 6 again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Your obedience shows whether or not you love Jesus. Ouch. Your obedience shows whether or not you love Jesus. Let me just give you some things Jesus himself says about this. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. John 14, 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Okay? It's very popular in evangelicalism to, for someone to say they love Jesus, but the Bible's going to tell you exactly what that looks like. It looks like obeying him. Multiple times in ministry, so this is the third church at which I've uh, gotten to pastor, I've had this conversation with somebody, whether it's via email or a phone call or they come up to the church. Typically, uh, they will sit down and someone will say this, Zach, can I join this church? I'm asking because I'm a gay Christian. They'll say something like that. The first question I have for them is, what do you mean by gay Christian? Do you mean someone who is a Christian and you're tempted towards homosexuality, but you're willing to fight it? You're willing to recognize that that's evil and you're willing to recognize that's not God's will for your life and you're going to push back against it. If that's the case, welcome. Everybody in here is tempted towards things we should not be tempted towards, whether it's adultery or greed or whatever it might be. But sometimes the person says, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that I'm a Christian and I'm going to continue living in an actively gay lifestyle. Can I be a member of your church? And to that, I've had to say, you're welcome to attend. You're welcome to get into a community group but you cannot be a member of the church. Why? Because you don't like gay people? No, 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 because you don't love Jesus. Christians are those who love Jesus, and Jesus says if you love him, you'll obey his word. I'm not trying to single out one type of sin. If someone says I want to join your church, but I'm also living with my girlfriend, I will say the same thing. You cannot because membership is for those that love Jesus. Okay? It's for those that obey Jesus because those are the same thing in the New Testament. Now let's read verse 6 again. This one's tough, especially if you're uh, very condemning of yourself like I am. Let's read verse 6. It says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, now there's two ways to read 1 John. You have to read it with your grace glasses on, and it will be great and encouraging. If you read 1 John with your condemnation glasses on, you're going to misread it. Because on the one hand, he's going to say, If you walk in sin, you're damned. And on the other hand, he's going to say, And if you say you have no sin, you're also damned, right? It's like this weird catch-22, okay? So what is he saying? He's not saying that if you're a Christian who struggles with sin, you're not really a Christian. All of us struggle with sin. All of us will struggle with sin the rest of our lives. You are not fully dead to sin. You're not even mostly dead to sin in your practical life. You are in God's eyes, the way he thinks of you in Christ, but in your practical life, there you will continue to sin. So this text can't be saying any Christian who struggles with sin is damned. You know how I know? Because any interpretation of the Bible that damns everyone from all of world history is a wrong interpretation, okay? Rather, this is the idea. 
As a Christian, you are one who is pursuing Jesus, and as you're walking on that path, you stumble. You fall into darkness from time to time. You fall into sin, even sometimes for a season, even sometimes habitually. That's different, though, than a lost person. A lost person only walks in darkness. They give themselves over to their sin. You understand the difference between fighting your sin and sometimes failing versus giving yourself over to your sin. That's the difference. So let me say this as clearly as I can for this passage. What is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? A Christian is a sinner who repents, and a non-Christian is a sinner who doesn't repent. That's really the big difference. That's really the big difference. John is talking about the second one. Walking in the darkness is not, I'm a Christian and I struggle with sin. Walking in darkness is where you've given yourself over to it, and Jesus is not your highest joy, and you say, I don't care, my sin is better than Christ. Look at verse 7. Here's a contrast. But, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Look at the first phrase. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Let me tell you what that means primarily, and then I want to give you a secondary implication. Walking in the light here means that you're walking in fellowship with God, which is proved by acts of righteousness. Walking in the light is where you're walking with God, you're walking in fellowship with God, and therefore it produces holiness. That's what walking in the light is. That's the main meaning here in the first part of verse 7. But there's a secondary implication I want to bring out to you, and it's something we talk a lot about in community groups. There's an element to where walking in the light means that you share what you're struggling with and you share your sins with other people. One of the things that we will do in our community groups is we have accountability time where we split guys and girls, and it's a time to talk about temptations. It's a time to talk about sin because when you bring it out into the light, it starts to lose some of its power. It starts to lose some of its power when people are praying about it, asking you about it, encouraging you. Sin starts to lose some of its power when you bring it out into the light. We've said this, that we do this on staff here. One of the questions we will ask each other is, is there some woman who's not your wife that you are inordinately attracted to? That's a tough question to answer. You got to sit across the table from one of your buddies and say, I'm attracted to this girl, whatever it might be. Why do we do that? Because it loses its power. It loses some of its control over you when other people are asking you about it. When someone says, okay, I will pray for you, I will encourage you, I will ask you about this again, and if I see you talking in the hall with this girl too much, I'm going to come up and punch you in the neck because I love you, because I love you. And that's what love does sometimes, neck punches, okay? There's this idea mainly of just walking in righteousness, but I think there's this element is as we walk in righteousness, we also need to expose these struggles in our hearts to other people so that they can help us, guide us, pray for us, and counsel us. Now look at the middle of verse 7. This is fascinating. This, this popped out to me as I was studying for this sermon. You would expect verse 7 to say this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God, but that's not what it says. Look what it says, that we have fellowship with one another. Remember that social test that I mentioned to you of whether or not you're a Christian, that there's this social test? That's what this text is pointing to. If you're someone who walks in the light, you join up with other people who are walking in the light. You're saved into a family. Did you know that? You see, Roman Catholicism has a tendency to uh, de-emphasize individuality. Uh, Protestantism, though, has a tendency sometimes to lift it up too highly. So let me say it this way. Yes, Jesus died for you, but he didn't just die for you. He died for his bride, the church. Are you a part of the people of God? I'm not asking if you're a member, 
Do you, though, walk with other people who walk in the light? One of the evidences that you know God is that you know God's people. This is one of the reasons it's so devastating when we have to do church discipline. We've had to kick people out of the church before, and sometimes they say, that's fine, I'll go to another church. And I say, no, 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 you don't understand this. This isn't just about formal membership. What we're saying is you're not walking in the light, so you don't get to be around other people who are walking in the light. We're saying something stronger. We're not saying you're not part of our church. We're saying you might not be a part of Christ's church because those who walk in the light, according to this text, have fellowship with one another. And then look at the last phrase. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I want to read verse 7 again with that in mind and explain what the text does and doesn't mean. Let's read verse 7 again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, here's how some people could take that wrongly, okay? It sounds like the text is saying, if you walk in holiness and if you do good acts, then God will cleanse you, okay? That is not what the text is saying. How do I know? Because notice, it's not your walking in holiness that cleanses you. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses you. It's something outside of you that is applied to your life. This text is the same as what I have been saying earlier, which is your good deeds are the evidence, not the grounds of your justification. Let me give you an example. I do not enjoy going to the doctor. Most guys don't. I don't enjoy going to the doctor. Now, I have a great doctor. He's very witty and very sarcastic. So I went in one time for a physical, and uh, he said, you know the leading cause of death for a man your age? And I'm like, oh, uh, it's good to meet you. Uh, He said, number one is automobile accident. Number two is suicide, and number three is homicide. So buckle your seatbelt, don't shoot yourself in the head, and we'll see you next year. Things like this, okay? So he's just very blunt. I really appreciate that. But uh, I had to go to the doctor recently because I had a cold, and I hate the whole process. So I go to the doctor, and you first have to sit in this waiting room with other sick people, which makes no sense. It's like, hey, I've got radiation poisoning. It's like, great, hang out near this nuclear facility. You're, you're already sick, your immune system's already weak, and you're hanging out with other sick people, and there are toys for the children to make the movie Contagion happen, right? And so you're sitting there, and then they call you back. The nurse calls you back, and she takes my blood pressure. Hey, Mr. Lee, your blood pressure's a little high. Why is that? Well, it's probably due to stress. Well, try not to be stressed. You got it, okay? <laughs> Been trying for 20 years, but thank you for the encouragement. I'll just keep doing that. And then I, uh, I go back, and uh, I have a cold. And so the doctor says, you have a cold. And I say, is there any cure for that? And the doctor says, no, there's no cure. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't get a cure for the cold. Is there anything that can make it shorter? Nope. Okay, how much will this meeting be? It'll be $120. Okay, great, great. So thank you for this. You didn't fix me. I shouldn't have to pay anything. If I pop a tire, someone doesn't drive by and say, you got a pop tire, that's 50 bucks. You have to fix it. And that's what they do. They just diagnose you, take your money, but don't fix it. And, uh, And so then I have to leave and just cough it out for three weeks. Now, here's what's interesting. When you go to the doctor... The doctor is not the one making you sick. It's not like you walk in the doctor and they just hit you with some virus. The doctor is recognizing, hear this, what is already in you. The doctor is diagnosing, I haven't made you sick, you're already sick, okay? And the way that the doctor heals you is not by just telling you to suppress your cough or try to mentally lower your fever by thinking good thoughts. The doctor gives you medication. The doctor gives you something outside of you to change your sick body. Here's what you need to understand. In 1 John, walking in darkness is kind of like that, okay? If you see that there are places where you're spiritually sick, what John is doing is he's giving you a way to analyze that, okay? 
What you need is the doctor. You need the great physician. What, what John will do is it will tell you what's already in you. If you're walking in darkness, if you're walking in sin, if you're doing these things, there's something in you that's broken. And the solution in 1 John is not for you to try harder. The solution in 1 John is not for you to just try to suppress your cough and just try to not have a fever and just try to make your nose not run. No, it's to go to the one who is light. So let me say this as clearly as I can. If you are someone and you see darkness in your life, do not try harder. Do not just try to heal yourself. If you need to walk in a path of light, you will need to go to the one who is light, and he must heal you. And he must heal you. There's a way where you can read 1 John, and I'll end with this. There's a way where you can read 1 John where you feel like what you need to do is try harder. I see that John says that if I'm walking in darkness, I'm not a Christian. Well, I want to be a Christian, so I'm just going to kind of will myself to try to be holier. Good luck with that. Works-based religion does not work. Self-help, self-righteousness does not work. It is like, as theologian Rudolf Bultmann said, trying to pull yourself out of a swamp by pulling on the top of your hair. It does not work. What you need to do is come to the one who is light. No, that's why John starts that way. God is light. He's perfect. If you want to walk in light, step one is coming to him. Step one is coming to the God who cleanses, who redeems, who heals, and he will make you righteous. Don't try harder. I don't want you to try at all. I want you to come to Christ and let him heal you, let him fix you, let him transform you from the inside out. A a bad tree, a tree that's sick and disgusting, can't go grab a bunch of good fruit on the ground and say, I hope I'm a good tree. It doesn't work that way. That tree has to be transformed from the inside out, and so do we. So don't let this text bring you to legalism. Let me just crush you in legalism real quick so we can end with the hope of the gospel, okay? What's so ironic and funny about those who are legalistic, myself sometimes included, is that we have a tendency to think that we can actually keep God's commands. We can't. You understand that because you're a sinner, God has given you impossible things for you to keep. God says to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We interpret that as do your best. That's not what the text actually says. It says to be perfect. Jesus says to sell all you have and give to the poor. We interpret that to mean give some tithing to the church. That's not what the text actually says. Jesus says unless you love him so much that your love for your family is as hate, you cannot be his disciple. We interpret that to mean, oh, we should just love Jesus a bunch. God has given you impossible commands. The solution cannot be you trying harder, okay? What people who are legalists do is they denigrate God's commands, make them easier to follow, and then try to crush it. That's not the command. The command from God is for you to be perfect. You have two options. You can be perfect or you can trust Jesus, who is perfect. That's it. Those are your only two options. Think about how many times we have sinned just today. Today, have you at every second loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Did you snap at your kids this morning getting in the car? Did you snap at your spouse? Did you get up this morning and thank God for keeping you alive through the evening? He didn't have to do that. Did you have a lustful thought, a selfish thought, uh, an unjustly angry thought? Did you see somebody you didn't really like? You have bitterness in your heart? You see, we have sinned hundreds of times, if not more, just this morning. And it's a Sunday. Not even your best day. A Sunday, right? Your hope, if you need to get on a path of light, is not that you would do better. You can't do better. I'm here to tell you there is one who has done better on your behalf, and his name is Jesus, and he is the God-man, and he did love God perfectly all the time. He did keep all the commands all the time. When there's a beautiful woman, he turns away and he doesn't lust. 
When he wants to punch the Pharisees in the mouth, he restrains himself. Okay? And he has lived righteously on your behalf. You have two options. You come to Christ and be on the path of light, or you are by default on the path of darkness, no matter how much you're trying to be holy. That's the application for this text in 1 John. Let's pray as those helping serve communion come forward to pass out the elements. Almighty God, I pray if there is one here who does not know Jesus, who if they look at their life, they see darkness. They don't see that darkness covered by the blood of Christ. I pray that today might be their spiritual birthday, that uh, the Holy Spirit might come into their heart and regenerate them, give them new life, new birth, that they would be transformed from the inside out. I pray for any hints of those who read 1 John and feel condemned and think the solution is to try harder. Would you crush that in us? Would you make the weight so heavy that we stop pushing against it and just ask you to take it off our chest? We love you. We thank you. We ask that you bless this time as we transition into communion. In Christ's name, amen.